0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream. We're going to be talking about the recession today, but I know all of you are recession-proof out there. You know what else is recession-proof? This dick. Never forget that. (laughs) I'm going live right now, by the way, to the uh, Lions Liberty Pride which you can have access to by going to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty or lions of Or of course I do my good morning fuckhead daily rants. And I'm going to do uh, as soon as I wrap this episode up, I'm going to do one of those. I kind of drop this out there randomly on our pride today, figuring why not? I'm doing it a little earlier in the day. I'm, I'm feeling revved up. It's a cloudy day in LA, which I love. So might as well go live. And I'm going to be trying to do more live shows when I get the opportunity and I don't have to uh, schedule my podcasting around when my gardener is making uh, loud noises. But of course, you can get episodes early by joining the Patreon. You could have seen Dave Smith and Mark Claire have their discussion about the Mises strategy, Mark's criticisms, Dave rebuttals, and uh, I got to say, not as much animosity as I would have liked in, uh, in an interview. I wanted, I wanted more name calling, <laughs> I wanted personal attacks. You know, talking about how people's children were ugly and such, but. What can I say? Sometimes I gotta keep it classy. Anyway, you could have heard all of that about a week early by going to the Patreon. So do that, support the show. If you like what I'm doing here at Mean Age Daydream, of course, also go to that Patreon, supports all of the shows on the lines of Liberty Network. But we're here to talk about recessions today. I read that Bank of America, among many other institutions in the financial sphere, has said that a recession is at this point virtually inevitable. It is something that everybody feels is coming. Naturally, we all saw this coming. You can't print trillions of dollars. You can't cut off supply chains. You can't shut down economies on a global scale without accepting some sort of comeuppance for your actions. And Primarily, we're seeing this as a result of the massive inflation, you know, it's selling the, the official government index says it's like 8.6. We know that's a farce, right? This is coming from a government which uses wrong indexes constantly, right? They're using the CPI, they're using all these, again, cooked books, if you will, because the government, of course, is incentivized to minimize the damage it's doing to its own citizenry. So this is not a fair assessment. Really, it looks like for most people, we're seeing double digit inflation. When it comes to gasoline prices, in Los Angeles, I filled up my tank yesterday. I think the mean price for gasoline is something like $5 right now. My gas was $6.09 for the cheapest one I could find yesterday. So people are feeling this impact heavily. And inevitably, you are going to see some pullback in the form of a recession. Now that the money printing stopped, the big banks aren't getting their handed out checks. We're seeing people try to themselves into a ball to try to stay alive during what is an incredibly inflationary period. Now, from a libertarian perspective, right, from a free market perspective, our immediate instinct is to say, we told you so. Hey, dummies, look around. All of this was avoidable, right? And we're right in saying that. But as you know, with the show with Mean Age Daydream, I'm not trying to to be the I told you so. We've got enough people out there that can tell you I told you so. Now, naturally, within the libertarian space, we've got people saying this that are correct. You know, it's harder to believe when you hear it from the Republicans because they're not saying that because they, of course, supported the bailouts, even if they might have poo pooed a little bit about the giant, you know, know, trillion-dollar stimulus that Biden put out there and everything else. They still approved it when Trump was doing it. They're still to blame for a portion of what's going on here. So we're the only ones that can really take ownership of it. But when you have people looking at a recession, people that are panicking because they can't find stores that have baby formula, they can't find stores that have toilet paper, they can't find stores that have X, Y, and Z, when meat prices are skyrocketing and gasoline skyrocketing, people don't want to hear, I told you so. It doesn't help. Just going to piss them off, right? So having somebody tell you, like, you know, the worst thing you can hear if you're in a relationship with anybody, my wife, is that I told you so. If I make any number of bad decisions, as I often do and have done, of course, this past weekend, I'm (laughs) full of bad decisions. That's all I do. But hearing that I told you so doesn't make me feel better. It doesn't make me uh, necessarily want to go back and change things immediately. All it does is make me angry. So What we're going to do here is we're going to talk about what we can do to try to stem a recession, right? Everybody's confident this is coming, this is happening. And yes, I don't have the power to do anything about it. But what I can do is promise people that when this happens again, if you can prescribe a different solution, if people can buy into a different way of looking at the events taking place, of taking action to stem this, again, this is about promising people what can be delivered by, by a different modus operandi by a freer marketplace, by a libertarian philosophy and how this is going to play out in the real world. So I have just come up with some thoughts and um, these are off the top of my head, but as I am going to be working on a book, you can probably just call it Mean Age Daydream about a positive libertarian philosophy of the future. I figure this is a good step in here. I'll probably do a little bit more research down the road for the book, but to kick things off, we've got a recession, right? Now, the libertarian gut instinct is to say no more bailouts, let the market correct itself, let it hit rock bottom, and then everything will be you know free grow from there. Kind of like when a forest burns down, now all of the ash and all of the, uh, the plant growth is free to spring up again, start anew. That's a lovely thing to say, except that people are losing their shirts, except people have to feed their kids and people don't want to see their businesses go under. So we can't just say you need to have the market correct itself. It doesn't work. So instead of that, Well, we have three things we need to do to try to correct this trend, to try to prevent the unpreventable recession. Deregulate, right? Incentivize, produce, and import. I guess that's four things. Deregulate, incentivize, import, and produce. Now, we talked about deregulation, right? That's tied in with production. When we talk about deregulation, we're talking about incentivization, for people to fill a gap in the marketplace, right? Like I think back to the past couple of years, obviously the pandemic was a huge reason that we're going to be coming into this recession, but there have been numerous stories about people during the pandemic that pivoted because there's now a new government, basically a mandated industry that the government created. And this was COVID testing. This was COVID protocol checking. This was people that sat on film sets and made sure everybody had their vaccine card on there and then you know shoved a, a thing up somebody's nose and then sat there all day twiddling their thumbs, getting paid, you know, $600 a day. The people that ran these businesses, the people that got ahead of it, that, that ran testing facilities, etc., they have become multi, multi-millionaires, many of them, multiple millionaires. Now, is this at the expense of other people's pain and suffering? Yes. Yes, it is. Was it out of a created issue that was a, a basically should have been a non-starter that shouldn't have impacted our society more than a blip or any other virus? Yes, but- Where there is pain, where there is crisis, there is always opportunity. Now, we're coming into an area where we have a lot of crisis. We're coming into an area where we're going to have a recession. We have massive supply chain issues. That should not be something that everybody runs and hides from. That should be something that people look at and they lick their lips eagerly and they say, this is an opportunity for me. Now. How does this tie into deregulation? Well, a number of different things, right? We have an energy crisis. You could say that deregulating, opening up the drilling is going to free us up to blah, blah, blah. That doesn't help us in in the immediate future, right? Every politician that says, well, we need to open this up, sure. Long term, I do believe you need more drilling. You need to have energy independence, which we had achieved before the Biden administration. But open it back up, deregulate that, allow the drilling short. But in the interim, right? You need to have different ways for people to find like solutions for this crisis, solutions insofar as finding new ways to have ride sharing operations, finding new ways to make it cheaper, easier to say, like, for example, if you're not using your car, can we have a simple solution where somebody creates an app without you know, government interference, without having to jump through a million hoops, without having to get a billion licenses? Can we create an environment where you deregulate the ability for somebody to simply lease your car for a day? right? And you sharing the same car or have a ride share creation process where you create a new system incentivizing people to jump to to jump in and say, I'll give you a ride each two years and chips in $5. Fine. But deregulate it. Make it easy for people to have that. Don't require them to get a taxi medallion. Don't require them to jump through a million hoops to try to create this business. Deregulate that environment. Not only that, but deregulate the difficulties in creating the products that are now in short supply. We saw the government shut down one of the biggest foundation, or not foundations, one of the biggest formula creation facilities for baby formula in the country. And this is after regulations and lobbyists had made it so difficult for the baby formula creation industry to, to prosper, right? That you basically had to narrow the field to three different providers. And of those providers, they had basically monopolies within the hospitals. So there was not incentive for other people to come in and compete in this marketplace. So what happens? Oh, one of them goes down and you have a shortage. Deregulate it. Get the lobbyists out. Make it simpler for people to get into these industries and create. We have Joe Biden. And now he's being criticized for using the the, uh, the Defense Act, you know, to basically, or the Defense Production Act, to basically and enable build, uh, buildings and uh, facilities to be retrofitted to take care of different things you know again it was for ventilators it was for mass it was for baby formula Make that something that is policy across the board for business. Make it easier for everybody to get into these games, to address these supply chain issues, to pivot their business from one thing to another. I'm sure now the mask industry has gone bottom up. Can we pivot to making baby diapers? Can we pivot to making whatever X, Y, and Z product is in short supply on store shelves to fill the demand? Now, it's not just about deregulation. Deregulation will help because you're lowering the barrier for entry. You're basically taking the rug out from the bigger corporations and the lobbyists and allowing small businesses to compete. And we've seen if there's one thing that can move very quickly, very efficiently, more than the behemoth companies, right? That have to retrofit things or that have to go through a board and have to go through investors and everything else, small business can set up quickly, can meet a demand. And especially if you have a low bar for entry, if you don't have in a, a regulatory environment that's going to prohibit people from getting in and make them file 50,000 pages of documents and get licensed and get approvals as we see exists, you are going to have small business jump on this. You're going to have entrepreneurs come in and find solutions for the marketplace and adjust and fill those gaps with a speed that government cannot possibly hope to match, that big corporations cannot hope to match. But you have to have the environment created. Now tying into that, right? Tying into a deregulation and incentivizing people. When I talk about entrepreneurship and small business, I'm not only talking about entrepreneurship and small business on like a a micro scale of independent, you know, individual people starting up a business that's employing four people. I'm also talking about an environment of creation during a recessionary period where the government, yes, the government says, you know, it, by, by the way, sorry, side tangent. The government, by the way, I just read the story is taking in more money, somehow taking in more money than they have in the past like five years in taxes. And they don't know where the money's coming from. They don't know how people are getting it. They don't know where it's coming from, but they're apparently making all this money from taxes back. So if there's a time they should be able to do this, it's now. But my prescription here is, Why can't the government give us a tax holiday in general, but on investing in a business, in revenues generated from a created business that has either been invested in, right, in the next, let's say, till the end of the year? How about through to the end of 2023? To avoid a recession, to get people to embrace the marketplace, to invest in the marketplace, to find solutions for our problems, you need people to expend that capital. Not only that, but if you're taking the capital out, right? You're investing it. It's taking it out of the rotation. It's not going out circulating in the population and driving up our product prices. You're investing it in something that's going to help. Give us a tax holiday on that. Capital gains taxes suspended until 2023. If you make revenue from a new business that you've created, You now do not have to pay taxes on that business until the end of 2023 or 2024, let's say the tax year of 2024. You are now giving people such an incentive during a time where we're predicting recession to create a new business, to create new ways of making money, of keeping our economy churning, of keeping people employed, of keeping revenue, not only from our domestic investors, but getting other countries that maybe are not going to be hit as hard, which is a question. Because we know on a global scale, we're looking at a recession because every country followed the prescribed idiocy of the WHO, of the CDC, of everybody else that, that cried wolf about what was going to happen with the pandemic, right? But there are some countries, maybe the Swedes are sitting on a butt ton of money. And some Swedish investors say, you know what? America is doing a tax holiday on revenues, on capital gains, on returns on investment for businesses right now. I want to invest. Who's starting something up? Show me a business plan. I want to get in on that now. And for people domestically that might be sitting on this money that they've accrued, let's say you are a new pandemic millionaire. You've got the money to invest. Well, now let's create new millionaires. Let's give people an opportunity to meet that demand, to create a business now and incentivize them from a government perspective. Government does nothing but take, as I've said on this show uh, you know, 10 times by now, government exists to do two things, cause pain and cause fear. You are now, as a government, taking away two of those points. You're not giving people pain by taking their money from a business that they're creating, from taking a risk. The reason recessions happen is not only from government's interference and printing all this money and all the fear of the credit, but it's from people's fear of the future, of fear of what's coming down the pipeline. If you can take out a piece of that fear by saying, look, no matter what happens with your business, we're not going to touch a piece of it. You get to keep whatever you make. You can reinvest that money. You are now going to have people saying now's the time. I know I would have waited, too. Everybody's saying it's a bad time to increase my business. I'm going to invest because you have eliminated that barrier. You have incentivized me to invest and you've incentivized people on a worldwide scale to invest, knowing that the return on their investment is going to be so much greater than it would be at any other time. Is there still risk? Of course, there's still risk, but you're mitigating that risk. Third thing, of course, you know, we talk about production, well- I just told you how you're going to address that. You're going to give people the opportunity to address these shortages. I talked about the COVID millionaires are created. I talked about how when you have a crisis like this, there is opportunity to fill a gap. Every time there is a recession or a supply chain crunch, I want to see new millionaires created daily. I want to see people coming up with innovative solutions to fill those gaps. And if government can get the fuck out of the way, that will happen. If they could get out of the way and give people incentivization to make more money, all the better. These things are tied together. You can increase your production because you're giving people more opportunities to do so, and you're keeping yourself out of the way. That's weird. My screen just went dark all of a sudden on me. I was like, am I going blind? Is my computer losing power? But if you can't do it domestically, right? Let's say there's certain products, there's certain needs that we just don't have here domestically. You know, and, and again, you know, we talk about deregulation. We talk about the shortages for uh, for timber. And we talk about the shortages for X, Y, and Z, and, and fuel, and all this other stuff. Energy costs, and and look, they put a lot of emphasis on green renewable energies, right? And a lot of that actually comes from plants that are burning, you know, old wood uh, and garbage, but again deregulation you know give people the opportunity to produce this give people the opportunity to log more to create you know x y and z products that are coming out to the marketplace to address those shortages within the marketplace but anyway, sorry last thing tariffs right if we're having an issue getting supplies in here why are we not eliminating any and all tariffs on any goods that could possibly help with this shortage i mean if we're looking at domestic prices that are going up double digits, you're telling me that some other country isn't going to be able to either create a production line to address our needs and ship it over here? And yes, I know the energy costs for shipping are still high, but if you can't get a product, you can't get a product. Again, let's create a millionaire. But you're telling me they're not going to be incentivized to come over here if you're dropping the cost that you're going to put on this as a government if we can't meet supply domestically and tariffs are protectionist measures, right? It's supposed to protect our domestic ability to create these products and provide the American people at a cost that, of course, is unreasonable because every tariff is just a tax on the American people's ability to buy a product at a cheaper price. Get rid of the tariffs. Let people import just so we can have the goods. This so people don't have to spend twice as much on a single product. I don't give a shit if the domestic product that's not being produced is going to take a hit. You know what? If you got a competition coming from overseas right now because you couldn't meet supply, well, figure out a better process. Or get government out of the way so somebody else can come and create that process. It's just that simple, right? Then this is a prescription for immediate combating of the recession, but also in advance of recessions. Also, just as a basic staple of our lives. I mean, the things I'm talking about are obviously applicable to our current situation, but on an ongoing level would increase the production, would increase the capacity, would increase our economy's potential and impact by an exponential amount. But as we know, the government exists to create fear and create pain and to grow itself. We probably won't see it. But again, this is a solution. Another thing, obviously, just to talk about is getting money out of the system, not creating more. California's already talking about sending people 400 more dollars as a stimulus. Now, this money exists. It's not like California is printing it. So maybe it'll help in some respect. But $400, if you've got you know, double-digit increases in your cost of baby food, isn't going to be a, a ton of money. But the last time we had recessions like this, we had government stimulus checks get sent out. I think people are smart enough now to realize that printing more money to get us out of a situation where printing trillions of dollars and sending them to people – who didn't go to work after that, and there still is a massive staffing shortage, by the way, for people not working or still working in these COVID pandemic related industries, is simply not going to cut the buster. So you have to limit that money. You have to start to curb. Because again, I'm trying to get money out of the system through investing and through keeping that money out of circulation to try to keep it down. Another thing, we have to embrace financial alternatives right there has to be a place where people can go if this inflation is continuing to rise to put money this is why it has to be fought back against every regulation every every attempt to rein in cryptocurrency every attempt for the government to get its sticky fingers in there to create its own competing digital currency this has to be pushed back against we have to have somewhere for people to put cash to keep it if there is a recession if there is inflation on this level you have to have somewhere to go gold's one option Bitcoin, of course, has taken a big hit as well, but having the government get so involved in regulatory matters involving cryptos is probably scaring as many people off and keeping them from investing as anything else. I know for me, I think I'm probably going to buy some more Bitcoin right now. I mean, it just went down again. I'll probably you know, grab another 1000 or 2000 just to see, but for a lot of people, myself included, the regulatory environment created by government, especially with this You know, speculation that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies could be taxed on gains that are yet unrealized is bananas and threatens people's ability to put their money somewhere stable and safe, which then they can pull out and reinvest in our economy, in creation, rather than simply hoarding or fear or trying to pay the basic bills. I also think, as another point on this recession topic, that And, you know, I doubt the government will ever go for it. But we have people like Rand Paul proposing new budgets and you know, put in place his six penny or six cents a day plan or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is. I haven't read the whole thing. But why do we not have, right? We have a a limit on our debt ceiling. Why do we not have a simple measure on the books that we can all agree on that we have to limit the Fed's ability to increase the monetary supply by X a year, right? By you know the the, ma- the most the monetary supply could be increased regardless of any circumstance. I don't give a shit if it's a pandemic that's killing people and their eyeballs are popping out of their head and getting personalities and doing vaudeville shows in people's skulls. I don't care what the pandemic might be, but a limit on the ability to create money out of thin air. Just a percentage point of you say, OK, you know, 2%, right? Is that what's our target inflation year these people have to go after? Because we always have to have inflation, right? Or the system collapses now. What they developed, but something like uh, the target inflation is 2% a year. Okay, well, then that's that's the increase of the money supply that's permitted. And you keep it at that. So you can't simply massively increase the amount of money into a, into a society without any forewarning, without any societal uh, feedback, which is basically what happened. It's not like it was an election year. It's not like we can vote on this thing and, you know, we can threaten our senators, but they all go along with it because the immediate response is we must do something. As much as we possibly can, we have to limit we must do something from being possible within the governmental structure. Now, I'm going to talk about January 6th. Of course, I have to talk about that today. I'm going to talk about these new red flag laws, this quote-unquote bipartisan deal that is being proposed. But, you know, this is basically the concept of do nothing, man. And yes... Jason, Jason Carrier asked me, when the new do-nothing man? Yes, new do-nothing man, my superhero, my libertarian superhero. I am working on a new episode now. I know, I mean to do these things so much more often, but Jesus, they, they take a lot of time and it's very hard when you have a little kid. Um, I'm going to have one out by the end of July. So if you want to get that, again, you're going to hear that through Patreon first. I do that probably about a month in advance. So you're going to be waiting a long time to hear it if you do not get in the Patreon. But new libertarian superhero episode do-nothing man. He was created as this a bulwark, right? The whole concept that doing something is always the worst possible outcome, regardless of circumstance. Simply doing something to do something. And that is what we want to limit, right? You introduce this bill so the government simply can't do something, aka print trillions of dollars and send them out to idiots who do nothing with it, who do, who simply don't pay their rent, right? And let's not forget that The government also put a moratorium on having to pay rent, on kicking people out for not paying rent. They put, uh, you know, all these provisions on the books for people to take weeks off at a time if they had COVID. And even more than that, I mean, different union groups had, like, you could take a month off at a time or six months off at a time if you were a, a certain age. Well, yeah, you know, COVID, it's dangerous if you're over 60. So take six months off, paid leave insanity. Let's put some checks in here that you can't just do something. So anyway, there's a little mean age daydream treatment on that, guys. So you can uh, apply that, use it in your bar talks, use it in whatever you want to be doing, and hopefully have some positive conversations with people that are afraid of this recession. You can tell people, here's what we can do from our perspective. You want to say it's libertarian. You want to say it's free market. You want to say it's just a common sense way to try to fight back against this that nobody is talking about. Nobody has talked about this you can share it and you can say that you heard it right here from your buddy Brian. A little sippy water here? Okay, so by the way, before I go on to my next topics, guys, if you are concerned about being chased around the internet by hackers, by spies, by ad bots, by creepers, well, by red flag law people, (laughs) well, you need to check out our sponsor, IPVanish. IPVanish IPVanish.com, guys, forward slash lions, you will get 70% 70% off a year long subscription. Use that promo code lions. 70% off a year's subscription to IP Vanish. Now IP Vanish is awesome. They've got thousands of reviews on Trustpilot. They are absolutely dynamic in how they can help you to protect your security, your passwords, everything else by protecting your IP. Not only that, but if you're familiar with the way it works, it blocks your IP from actually being physically located so this means that nobody can find out your physical location, what country you're in, what state you're in, you know, whatever it might be. And it works across all your platforms. So if I'm on my iPhone and I want to make sure I'm not tracked, IPvanish allows me to do that. Turn it on, works on my iPhone, works on my laptop, works on, uh, you know, those of you who have tower computers, you, you gaming dorks. And yes, I play games too, but regardless it's going to protect you from having people access your IP and it's going to keep your password safe. It's going to keep you from being tracked and hounded and, uh, and hacked. So check it out guys. IPvanish.com forward slash lions. Again, promo code lions gets 70% off. I do not go online without it. I suspect that you don't want to uh, go on <laughs> online without it either. So make sure to check that out today, support the show and get yourself a fine product. Now, By the way, I also want to say, I was on, I I totally have mentioned this. Number one, uh, Remzo Martinez got married. Congratulations, Remzo. I was on his podcast a few weeks ago, guys, check that out. Had a great conversation with him about, uh, the show, about the new direction. Also talking about the, you know, again, these crazy people at Harvard that were protesting an autism conference because it was ableist. (laughs) So check out my boy Remzo and, uh, on the run with Remzo Martinez, And I was just on the Punk Rock Libertarians live feed and podcast as well. Unfortunately, I was only able to go on for about a half an hour because I had uh, just gotten back from, I think it was Reno or Vegas. One of the other ones. I think it was Vegas. And I had to do kid duty. But make sure to check them out, too. Love Otto and the boys over there at the Punk Rock Libertarians. Punk Rock Libertarians. There we go. Punk Rock Libertarians. Sound like an Asian stereotype from an old Simpsons episode. And all their good stuff as well. Now, let's talk about January sixth. I have had discussions with family members, with friends, who have still—I don't know—lived under the impression. Number one, half these people still believe the Russia Coke, the Russia hoax, and Russia Gate, and that Donald Trump was a, a victim of Putin's spy network and is somehow a, a Russian asset. And even though that has widely been discredited, even though we know Hillary Clinton should be in jail right now. And yes, sorry, liberals that are listening. Hillary Clinton should be in jail right now. Instead of uh, Flynn going to jail, she should be in jail for how she had perpetrated one of the greatest lies that's with a big lie. One of the greatest lies in American history, basically, You talk about trying to undermine a democracy. You talk about trying to uh, support an insurrection. Well, Hillary Clinton was basically trying to uh, hold a media coup against the duly elected president of the United States and Donald Trump by spreading absolute lies, working with foreign spying entities and, of course, our domestic spying entities, FBI and the CIA, to create a false narrative about Donald Trump. But I have had arguments with people about January 6th. Now, January 6th happened. It's not a conspiracy. It happened. The conspiracy is what Democrats and liberals are peddling, saying that Donald Trump supported this and coordinated a quote-unquote insurrection and a attack on our democracy. Now, whether or not Donald Trump encouraged people to go to the Capitol, right? He did. And told them very specifically to be peaceable in their march on the Capitol... Now, whether or not this is somehow related to overthrowing the election, and they're trying to say that somehow the insurrection and his telling people that he wanted them to look into overturning the election, which I'm sorry, if you're Donald Trump and you suspect that there was rampant voter fraud, then you probably would tell people, well, why don't we look into overturning the election? The concept of saying, I'd like to look into overturning, a.k.a rolling back and reversing, not violently. He didn't say, I want to hold a violent overthrow of the American government. No, overturning, meaning turning back in election where you feel that you were unfairly robbed of votes. You were unfairly uh, you know, robbed of your rightful place as the president of the United States, and you are the president of the United States. I don't feel that this is out of the realm of logical thought, nor it should be viewed as anything other than a president who feels he was wrong, trying to make things right in his opinion, or at least exploring the alternatives, exploring the options into let's figure out if this was actually the truth. I remember the Democrats doing the same thing with Al Gore, right? And the Florida vote and uh, Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Literally every single vote that the Democrats have ever lost, they have looked into in so many words, overturning the election. So all of this hoopla is beyond stupid to focus on as though it's something A, out of the ordinary or B, somehow extra nefarious because 4D chess Donald Trump was yelling at people to go and see if it's possible. It is nonsensical stupidity. And yet all of these people who, in theory, are very intelligent folks seem to be completely brainwashed into believing that it is some sort of outliner that is a threat to our democracy. Now, the second thing to remember about January 6th is that while we don't know exactly what every motivation of every person there was, there were thousands of people there, including pregnant women who never even went into the Capitol, who have now been arrested and are tempted to be prosecuted by the FBI and other you know, Department of State operatives. So we've already seen a massive government overreach, a massive government response that is basically should be terrifying to anybody that actually views real democracy, real opportunities to protest or have public shows of outrage, of public shows of disapproval or approval for that matter, and seeing this type of government response. That's second point. Third point. Again, we don't know what everybody going in might have had as far as their motives. Maybe some people wanted to go in and do something violent to you know, the numbers of Congress that might have been in the Capitol building at the time. Maybe most of them, as we saw in the videos, were just yahoos and imbeciles who didn't think they'd actually get into the Capitol in the first place. As much as they may have wanted to go out say, you know, saying, let's go storm the Capitol, which you know, for videos played, it certainly seems that uh, Epps, this one guy that we were just told by the mainstream media... And every single mainstream media source somehow unanimously all reported that this guy Epps, who was the one saying, we have to go inside and storm the Capitol, who they were chanting Fed at. The crowd's chanting Fed at this guy because he's trying to incite the crowd to do something stupid. And it worked eventually. This man supposedly is not working for the FBI or the CIA as though we would be told if he was a government operative as though his saying that he wasn't working for them is some sort of revelation and that that this means that this is the absolute truth give me a break i roll my eyes if anything the massive emphasis from the corporate media on saying this guy definitely wasn't an operative makes me think beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is an operative when you have lockstep from the mainstream press and the Democratic operatives all at the same time on one topic, you know there's something wrong about that topic. But most of these people did seem to be surprised that they were able to get in. We know the police opened the doors for them there. You know, half the doors were thrown wide for these people to walk in. And when they were inside, they didn't go around wrecking up the place. They didn't go bashing things. They, you know, they farted on Pelosi's desk. Stupid things that ruined their lives. It was a dumb thing to do. Right. But the result was more or less, Hey, look at these dummies doing something dumb. Nobody was hurt except for one innocent woman who was shot by the police. I guess there was some guy you could say that he died of a heart attack because he was so scared inside the Capitol building. Okay, fine. Other than that, cuts and bruises. But to pretend that this event was a legitimate threat to our democracy is one of the absolute most ridiculous statements, concepts, theories that has ever been floated out there in the history of the United States. These people, should they have been successful in what? Capturing five senators and torturing them? In what? Taking the Capitol building and squatting in it? Who cares? They would have been, if they did take the building, a U.S. Capitol building, the response would not have been as though it was, you know, via, well, I guess if they have the senators alive, they don't want to have these senators get killed if they're hostage in there. Right? Let's say in this theoretical circumstance. Maybe then they're careful about going in. But otherwise, I'm sorry, if you have a bunch of population that have overtaken the Capitol building, you are going to have thunder rain down on those people and murder all of them. Because the government obviously cannot have the people taking over this building that means so much. If there was a legitimate threat, these people would have been murdered. They killed people in Waco for far less. These people would have been massacred if there was a legitimate threat to our democracy. Even if they did manage to get the Capitol building, do these people think that you can only vote for things in the government by pulling a magic switch in a building? No. It's a symbol. It's a place to meet. We already saw during the pandemic that they didn't even have to be there. They'll do the votes on Zoom, guys. They'll do the votes over the phone. They'll do their votes at Davros. It doesn't matter. The Capitol building is a symbol. It doesn't give a goddamn if it's filled with people that are senators or yahoos, it is not a threat to our democracy. Our democracy does not depend on a fucking building. So how is this a threat to it? But of course, you would have thought that this was the greatest threat to our democracy that has ever existed. So what do we do now, right? In the wake of all of this, now the Democrats, because we have a recession impending, because we have massive inflation, because we have Joe Biden having the lowest approval ratings of any president in history. In history, Joe Biden's approval ratings are that low. Below, I don't know, below where Trump ever even dreamed of. Now they have this dog and pony show. And because the mainstream press are Democratic operatives, except for Fox News, they didn't run it. Good for them. I don't, I'm not sure if Fox Network did. I guess Fox Network did not. But, you know, the three of the four other ones or four of the five other ones, if, you, know, if you're going to count the CW or whatever. They ran live coverage of the January 6th hearings, this dog and pony show, this threat to our democracy, which were shams. It's a kangaroo court. It's a, it, it is a television melodrama run by one political party that has now been put on in prime time not during the day when every every other legitimate hearing happens. Every legitimate hearing over economic theory, over foreign policy, over everything that matters is always done during the day during working hours. No, not this one. Primetime TV, guys. And these networks are giving up millions of dollars a minute in advertising revenue. That's how much these mainstream media networks are kowtowing to the Democratic National Party. They're willing to give up millions of dollars every minute by not running their television shows in primetime and their advertisements in primetime to televise this ridiculous hearing wherein nothing's revealed, wherein theres it's literally it's a one-side presentation because it is the January 6th, you know, whatever, committee run by Democrats against Republicans and against Donald Trump. It is a propaganda Television show that is on where no other sides are presented really that are getting any legitimate hearing. You know, the approved videos only, edited videos. There's not real evidence being presented nor discussed. And one of the highlights was they had on, you know, the uh God I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but they had a like, you know, the Department of, of uh, Homeland Defense, where you know whoever's heading up the January investigations. And this asshole says that he's not going to discuss whether or not operatives were working for the FBI within the crowd on January 6th because it's not appropriate or it's not uh, within their normal way of operating to comment on an ongoing investigation. Okay, so what do you do here? You're going to have this entire ridiculous show, the circus is in town, And you're going to sit in the middle of the three rings and tell us nothing. Then what's the point of this? Why are we having a hearing right now if the American population can't be told any of the relevant information on whether or not government operatives were in the crowd inciting people to go and attack their own country? Why is this out of bounds? It's clearly not. We've had different investigations, notably The Mueller, 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 whatever the fuck investigation, notably that investigation where he's out talking to the media constantly. We've had any number of examples of people out talking to media constantly during the entire Trump investigation. And this guy won't tell us the most pertinent question, which is whether or not the government instigated and had people planted in the crowd that were leading the way, that were the first people through the gates to make sure that this happened. No, can't talk about it. Won't comment. What are we doing here? Why are we having this hearing? Because otherwise, if we can't actually get any of the actual investigation into it, then this is purely for show, which is what we're seeing. And it is disgusting that the mainstream media is going along with it gleefully as they are discussing that people are tuning into it. And beyond that, I love how this hearing, right? Primetime TV for nonsense meanwhile the hearing the trial that actually would have given us some insight into just how corrupt and sick the elites running this whole not not only this country but multiple countries are namely uh the uh what's her name uh not giselle oh my god a blanket on her name you know, Jeffrey Epstein's mistress, and I'm doing a live stream, so I can't even look up the name of her. I cannot think of her name. I'm blanking on it. Whatever. You know I'm talking about uh Epstein's mistress who sent up all of the sex girls. They'd apparently recruited all of these young girls to come in and, and work with uh, you know, Epstein and got Prince Andrew hooked on it and would partake with uh, with her own, you know, her own devices in there. Her trial we can't see. Can't hear any of the names that got revealed in it. Can't hear anything because it was too solicitous. It was, you know, the judge Libby who was on record well, I don't think we need to release the names. It would be too spectacular. You know, it's going to cause too much of a stir to release the names of people involved in a pedophile ring known to be among the elite's. The political, the economic elite of our world that we can't talk about. That's not primetime TV, guys. We can't have people in here, you know, covering this willy nilly. No cameras in the courtroom. But this bullshit, let's put this bullshit on primetime TV so you can see the government go after people who were dumb enough to either follow government operatives into a building or dumb enough to think that they would just be able to get away with going to the Capitol. Well, we have to make sure that on prime time, we punish them and we make the Republicans look evil and insane. Because again, this is propaganda. I mean, it's just, it's just wow. Now, the question is, and actually, you know what I meant to look up? Let me look it up right now. Let me see, ratings for Jan 6th hearings. Let me see what the ratings are for this. So, this is according to NPR, oh, the audience watching the first primetime hearing, first time ever, guys, of the House Select Committee was larger than expected. 20 million people. Well, so look at that 20 million people, 11 networks, three broadcast and cable channels. So, you know, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC. Oh, Fox Business did cover it. I didn't think they did. Well, shame on them. So they tuned in, 20 million people, to be propagandized for the DNC, to be propagandized that the government will come after you should you dare to question anything, right? And that they will prosecute you to the very ends of the earth to make sure that you don't even blink at the power that they wield. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. How about it? All right, let's pivot to something else here. I want to talk about this bipartisan deal. I love everybody. Everybody in the media is calling it a bipartisan deal on gun control. Who is it a deal for? It's not a deal for me as a gun owner. It's not a deal for me as somebody that would like to purchase more guns. It's not a deal for anybody that values owning a gun. It's a deal for two political parties. It's not a deal for any other political party, right? Except for the Republicans and the Democrats. It's a deal for two political parties to make themselves look good. But in the meantime, the practical impact of this is only going to be, I'd say, beneficial for, I don't know, government uh, watch lists. (laughs) If you look at it, like I was looking at what's actually in this deal that's proposed. Now, it may not get through, but it's predominantly about red flag laws. And I guess some mental health investment. So the most significant piece is really creating and implementing so-called red flag laws. Legislation provides funding to help states create new red flag laws. But 19 states and Washington, D.C. already have these laws on the books. So they are eligible for funding to improve the effectiveness of their programs. Now, number one, how much money is going to be given to these people? Again, where is it coming from? What's the budget for these red flag laws? Are we just going to print more money and give it to them? And how hard is it to create a red flag law and put it into place? I I don't feel like it could be that difficult, nor am I for them, by the way, in any way. So, like I said, they're trying to make it more difficult to buy a gun, right? So some of these, I could actually say, all right, this might make sense. You know, they're saying enhanced review process for buyers under 21 a more thorough review process for people between 18 and 21 who want to buy a gun like an AR-15 under a background check review. Instant, The National Instant Criminal Background Check System would have to also contact state and local law enforcement to search for any disqualified mental health or juvenile records. Okay, interesting. They have three days to conduct research, blah, blah, blah. Now, I can understand this. There's certain things right, that I can understand as far as if you're going to do it if you already have background checks if we're already accepting that these are a thing all right if you want to check to see if somebody has a record as a juvenile of being incredibly violent of making threats against people whatever else okay I get it that's fine now do I still think as libertarian you should be able to walk into a store and buy a gun immediately yeah (laughs) yeah I do (laughs) I do legitimately think that because I believe that the vast, vast majority of people are law-abiding citizens uh, that would like to simply own a gun to protect themselves or other ones and that people that are crazy, people that are evil are going to be crazy and evil no matter what. But I can get this. Fine. If we're seeing this, especially in the current environment where you're having a lot of these kids, as I talked about last episode, come through, have deep psychological problems, isolation problems, I can understand it especially if they do have a record of being violent, isolationist, you know, and lashing out and and et cetera. But at the same time, when we talk about broader red flag laws, I also worry about the application of red flags. Like, for example, they're talking about, you know, boyfriend and and, having a boyfriend loophole. They want to address this loophole, which deals on whether unmarried partners could keep guns if they were found guilty of violence against a dating partner. That's absurd. Absurd. Number one, the application of the law insofar as domestic violence is one that is gray at best. Depending on your prosecutor, depending on your state, depending on your political environment, depending on your judge, depending on any number of factors, your jury and X, Y, and Z, the police report, depending on how crazy your fucking partner might be, you might have been arrested or uh, reported as being either a proponent of domestic violence or having been reported as somebody partaking in domestic violence, right? And I don't know what this system is going to do. If it has to be found guilty, do you have to have served time? Does it have to be uh, some sort of police report, domestic violence reported, but never was followed through on? Maybe the partner dropped the charge, which happens a lot. And sometimes states will continue to try to prosecute them anyway. It could have been simply the fact that a girlfriend got mad and made up some shit. And that's actually happened factually. There's been a guy, you know, there was a story I was reading a a few years ago, actually. But a man had his guns taken away because his girlfriend made up that he was violent. And red flag law, they came in, took his guns. Cool. (laughs) So these laws... Really, are not so far. They're, they're they're intended number one to limit virtually everybody from buying a gun, right? And this is the problem I had with Obama and red flag laws bringing in mental health, because when you get involved with mental health or, or criminal records, you're opening up a Pandora's box where their definition of mental health can change so drastically and so quickly, and without any oversight or input from the citizenry, that it becomes a real issue. As I said, you know, I could understand if there's a a record for a juvenile that usually aren't checked insofar as violence or threats against somebody and i can see that being a disqualifier right but in a broader sense when you talk about people being flagged like for example some people because they had marijuana on their records aren't allowed to buy a gun now you know there's a lot of states where you can't buy a gun if you have marijuana on your record a lot of people may have been flagged for depression may have been flagged for some sort of bipolar disorder which tons of people are getting diagnosed with, could have been diagnosed with some sort of, uh, I don't know, you know, X, Y, and Z of mental disorders that are over-prescribed, over-diagnosed, And maybe you just went in because you were feeling odd one day and they gave you something and you're like, okay, you know, anxiety. Maybe if you get prescribed Xanax, is that going to be a disqualifier from you owning a firearm? And these red flag laws, when they get into mental health, and not only that, it should be a violation of your health, right? Your health rights. But everything's digital now, so it's easy for the government to get access to that. So now you are looking at massive disqualifiers applying to a massive amount of the population and not just for people trying to buy guns, but people that own guns. And that's where the real threat comes in, too, because if you have people that they want to disarm, and as I discussed in previous episodes, of course, the government wants to disarm you. Why would it not? Anybody that works within the government structure, for any law enforcement agency, for any agency that deals with the population, naturally wants you to not be armed. They want to have a monopoly on violence. They want a monopoly on firearms. And that's a very human instinct, isn't it? The government exists to grow itself, another human instinct which people think the government doesn't doesn't have somehow. You join the government, you lose all incentive for self uh, improvement as far as your financial circumstances and growing your power—a natural human inclination, which is why every single government system fails, and everything has to be decentralized. Which is also—I forgot to mention at the top of the show. I meant to. I meant to get into a point about how. We have to have decentralized marketplaces and decentralized from government influence and government control because every government entity exists solely to increase its own power, i.e. pain and fear. If we get decentralized marketplaces separated from the government, we now have separate bubbles that don't all pop at once because the fucking government has control over all of this economy. Decentralized marketplaces, another promise of the future under a free market or libertarian system. But getting back to this, of course, the government wants to take your guns because the government doesn't want competition insofar as who can shoot people. So these red flag laws are going to be applied liberally. I mean that, you know, I don't mean that as a bad pun, I mean that liberally uh, as a pun and as a fact. They will be applied liberally to remove as many guns from the population as is humanly possible using the most broad terms and the most broad definitions of domestic violence, of uh, you know, mental illness, of you know being a threat to oneself or others. That's where red flag laws are an absolute violation and are absolutely going to be abused by the government in order to take back as many guns as possible. The good news is, at least, that they are not trying to outright ban assault weapons. I think they knew that that was going to be a lost cause from the get-go. Number one, it would take them 40 years to define what an assault weapon is. And I think that it would just be met with a massive backlash, not only from people like me that are just absolutists for the Second Amendment uh, and fighting back against government tyranny, but I think for many, many people that use these guns to hunt or for self-defense in general, would push back. And they got knocked back on a higher minimum age of purchase. You know, many people were calling for the lowering of or sorry, the raising of the rate to buy guns to 18 to 21, but still advocating for a military draft and eligibility there. Hilariously. That got slapped down as well. So some good news for you guys on that. end. you know, it, it could be worse. It could be better. It still might fail. I hope it does fail. But considering all the things they were throwing out there. I don't know. I expected uh, I expected a lot more, frankly. I expected a lot more uh, fear-mongering. And for them, as I said, to take advantage of what was a perfect gift-wrapped bow-on-it box gift of a circumstance involving, you know, young uh, 18-year-old buys guns, shoots elementary school. You know, if you're a political shill looking to take advantage of a crisis, hard not to find anything better than that. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's show. Remember, please, please go and subscribe to the Mean Age Daydream solo feed and, of course, to the Lions of Liberty Network podcast feed. We need your support. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Help us get to events. By the way, I'm going to be at Freedom Fest, guys, so check that out. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. You can use promo code Lions to get $50 off of your full conference pass. I am going to be hosting a panel on Saturday, and unfortunately i don't have the exact title ahead of me but i'm hosting a panel on saturday of freedom fest i believe it's on the, uh, the 17th and that is going to be on liberty messaging refining and delivering a better liberty message of course that's what this show is about i'm going to be talking to several luminaries in the field i'll read them off uh, next week's episode i'll lay it out i just got the email you know a couple days ago about the panel in a All that good stuff. So check that out, though. I know I'm going to be there. Uh, I just got a text from Reed Coverdale. He's going to be hanging out with me over there. I think probably Dave's going. I'm sure Clint's going. I think even Lou Perez is going to be there. Try to sit down with Lou there. Going to be a blast, guys. So come on out to Vegas and, and blow it out with us. Have a great time. So again, check those show notes. And of course, give me a review. Tell somebody about the show, please. Especially this kind of show. If you're going to share, please share these types of shows. I know a lot of it's just going to be fun. It's going to be talking about cultural events, comedy, et cetera. But I think this kind of show where we can tell people, here's the philosophy. Here's how we're going to make your life better. Here's how recessions don't have to be as bad and they don't have to happen as often. This is how we solve it. That's the kind of show I want you to share. And next week's show, I'm going to have a guest on, Barbara Colm, who is amazing. She is one of the best libertarians in Europe. She is the head of the Austrian Economics Center. She is an absolute star. Oh, she also runs the free market roadshow. She's an absolute star when it comes to economics, money theory, Austrian economics, and libertarianism out in— She's based in Austria. You don't want to miss this episode. We're going to be talking about monetary theory. We're going to talk about— what's going on with the different currencies, with alt currencies, and, of course, what's going on with the economy overall. So, check that out. It's going to be an awesome show, and you're going to love Barbara. She is a a wonderful woman. All right, that's it. Bye from me, Brian McWilliams, from Mean Age Daydream. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.